What is that? I found this today. There were other parts of the body. That's an eyeball! Let's let's do an intro and let's talk about this bloody movie. Okay. Hello and welcome everyone. This is Blue Sweater Red Blood, the series where we talk about the Friday the 13th franchise. We give it a review. We have a bit of a discussion. We recap. We do all of that good stuff. I'm Connor. And I'm Chris. And uh, today we'll be leading you through all three dimensions of Friday the 13th Part (laughs) 3. Or actually maybe two of the dimensions. I think I only watched this in 2D. What about you, Chris? I only watched it in 2D, but I wish I wish so much that I'd seen it in 3D because I feel it'd have been better. Yeah, I, I, f- I feel <laughs> a, a lot with this film has been cast aside in favour of 3D effects and 3D shots. I'm just going to say it right now. I feel that in the second one, we, like last week we talked about, they did a lot of character development and yeah. through lines for it. I feel instead for this one, they threw all that away and like, well, let's just focus on what we can make look 3D in this one. Forget about character development, things like that. What can we make 3D? And the answer to that is pretty much, we're just going to make sticks and baseball bats look 3D. That's it. Yeah, they, they they had a board and they said, right, okay, we have to get rid of something from Friday the 13th Part 2 in order for us to be able to fit in these 3D effects. Something's got to go. And I think they just went, you know what? Character. Character, charm, anyone that you can relate to, get rid of them. 3D shots. Yeah. And I've got bones pick with you, actually. With me specifically? Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> last week, we're after... <laughs> the last one because uh, I enjoyed the last one obviously and you said it's fine we're in, we're in safe territory we're in safe hands for the next few films yeah we're here Friday the 13th <laughs> I watched this one and I was just let down Friday the 13th part 3 it's it's a divisive one a lot of people if they put it in like a top 5 list 3's usually in there I wouldn't technically put it in there I think it's a fine movie there's a lot about this movie that I like personally but I may have misled you slightly <laughs> You've definitely misled me slightly. And the fact that you're saying that a lot of people put it in their top five does not bode well for the rest <laughs> of the franchise for me. I told you, I told you from the get-go, the quality, it goes steadily downhill. But yeah, but I you, sp- you promised me I was in safe hands for at least a few films. It was one film. We'll get into it. I think there's, again, I find a, a lot to like in this movie. You might not. Uh, apparently i struggled Um, with it i really did and uh we'll get into why in a little bit we'll just give you a quick rundown of the movie bit of a bit of a background this is a direct follow-up to part two it's still directed by steve minor steve minor returns for this one he's in the director's chair again they almost did these back to back it's a direct follow-on we don't follow the same characters from part two but from jason of course but it's got a very similar structure, very similar opening, very similar midpoint ending. The formula is all there. Actually, thinking about it, they're all going to this one kind of house by a lake. Yeah. Um, there's a guy that's already there that's kind of like older than the rest of them slightly. Yeah, so a lot is, as we said, the similarities between it's, it's the two. It's very similar. We drop... It- we drop the counsellors, though. These aren't counsellors. This is... They're just friends. They're just friends. They're going to um, a cabin called Higgins Haven, named after the character Chris Higgins. It's a lodge that she has, or appears to have, with uh, the older guy there, Rick. 
I understood that as like her family cabin and he was kind of the guy that looked after it or something and they'd had yeah. better re- a relationship or something. He's like a handyman type thing. It could be that, definitely. Yeah, and then and Rick's just on site sort of keeping... I mean, what I will say about Rick is, and I'm going to point out, he does die and I didn't find out his name until he was dead <laughs> because that's the only way I've learned people's names in this movie is when they're dead and someone else is shouting their name. Which is um, a fair point. But... Rick, as a as a character, he looks like he could play anything between twenty five and forty five. Rick's very bizarre. He's he's as as soon as you see him, you kind of go, "Hang on, we we can't quite tell how old Chris is." We're assuming Chris no. is a youngish, you know, early twenties, late teens. I'd say twenty one ish. Yeah, early twenties. And Rick, I, I'd I'd say like like thirty five. I was gonna like he definitely could play her dad which when you see him i mean i my own opinions every time i see rick i go why didn't they just get this guy to be jason <laughs> why didn't they get this guy to be the stuntman for jason this dude's big he's got broad shoulders he's built he he is more built than um than ted than kevin bacon <laughs> kevin bacon in the first one yeah he's not quite as toned as ted ted the skinny guy from part two of course no but he's uh, built He's built. He's a big man. Um, and I kind of go, why did, they, why, did they, why did they just not get him to play Jason and saved some money? You know, because the fellow they got to play Jason, a guy called Richard Brooker, he only does Jason this once in, the, in this film. So the Jason from the previous movie, they didn't get him back. The Jason <laughs> after this, different guy. We, we had a discussion about this um, before we started recording. The, the, the characters in two, I had to, you know, I had to research a, a few of them because they don't immediately stick in, in your head. But one thing they did in the script in part two was very deliberately say the names of the characters several times. And introduced them straight away. And introduce them straight away. And we get, you know, we get a bit of that early on. We get um, characters saying, oh, you know, I've got you a date, Shelley. Hi, I'm Vera. You know, we've got a bit of that, but it doesn't sink in enough. No, it's nothing that sticks in your mind. I mean, Shelley stuck in my mind quite a bit. Of all the characters in this film, I'd say Shelley stands out even more than Chris. I think Chris is fine, but she's no Ginny. Yeah, she's no Ginny. Talking of Ginny. We skipped ahead quite a bit. Let's get back right to the beginning of the film. We've done a bit of a here's everything. We've done a bit of a rant. <laughs> let's let's round trip back to the beginning now. Because I have problems with this beginning. We watched the second film. We were like, right, we don't like six minutes straight of flashback of the final act of the previous movie. But Steve Miner, he goes, you want more? You want six minutes of part two at the beginning of part three? Here you go. In the context of the second film, when we're having this flashback art to what was going on in the end of the first film, they use it in sort of like a bad dream sequence, which actually worked that kind of footage. I mean, you know, we didn't really want to see six minutes of footage from the first film, but in the third film, they just play a full six minutes in order. Yeah. I don't think they do actually any, I think it's pretty much how it is in the film. To start on that point, they, there is no framing device in part two. As you said, we've got the framing device of we're Alice's house. Time has passed since the first film. The reason she's, uh, the, the audience is experiencing this part of the film again is because Alice is having a nightmare. That's the framing device. That's the context for that flashback. I think it just could be done a lot cleaner and quicker. 
I actually worried that the file I was watching was the wrong file. <laughs> like, I thought there was something wrong with the film I was watching. I was like, yeah. This is in every cut of the film, as far as I'm aware. I've seen, this is on the new Blu-ray. This is on the DVD that I've seen. This is on any digital release that I've watched. It's always like this. I kind of want it to be like a Netflix thing where you can skip it, you know. Oh, I wish it was. Um, I mean... Part of me wants to go just, I don't need to watch part four. I'm going to go skip to part five and watch the beginning of that one because I'm going to get six minutes of it and understand pretty much the whole plot. I'm going to do an edit together where it's just the (laughs) the opening moments of each film. Yeah, (laughs) stitch together. You see it all together. Yeah, I think that's that's about it for that six-minute opener. We don't need to say it anymore. I think we've spoken too much about the six-minute opener already funky titles though right you mu- oh, did you definitely. smile i, I always I smile when these titles pop up. i did i love the titles and honestly i wished i was watching it in 3d that's important context i don't know if we if we stress this enough we've introduced it but this film was a 3d vehicle back in the day back in the day 3d had sort of the old red and blue glasses yeah 3d was a thing at that point it had dipped it had gone out of fashion but 3d was coming back in a big way and franchises just felt the need to jump on this craze friday the 13th is kind of sleazy anyway so they were like yeah let's jump on this bandwagon while it's a thing part three 3d it lines up let's do it so there's a lot of 3d gimmickery in this film i think part of this film or this film's budget went to the conversion to 3d I, i can imagine talking of which shall we do our thing Let's do our thing. Yes. Let's do it. Let's play our weekly game. This is our guessing how much it cost versus how much it made game. Okay, so, Connor. Yes. Round one. How much did it cost? What do you think it cost? Uh, let's see. Mm, right. I'm going to go up because last week I said three mil and I was wrong and I had to guess you again. Did. So for this one, <laughs> I'm going to say three mil again <laughs> and hope for the best. Um, just because, you know, I don't think they had any locations that are going to be too costly, actors that are going to be too costly. But that 3D, that 3D conversion, 3 mil. Yeah, and costing 3 million would would tie up nicely with it being 3D and number 3. Yes. Um, It does have a 3 in the number. <gasps> but it's not 3 mil. It's um, not 3 million. Th- uh, 23 mil. Not 23. <laughs> 23 million? Oh my God. 2.3 is what I meant. Point, yeah. <laughs> Imagine if this film cost twenty three million, you'd be so disappointed. I don't you? know where the money went. <laughs> 20... it, went on cater- it went on catering. Um, yeah, you're right. Two point three million. Was I actually right there? Yeah, yeah. Two point three million. But two point three though <laughs> is, is, a, is a relatively big step up from part two. If I'm not wrong, it, it, it is. Um, and I, you do not see that money apart from the three D. No, I think that's what I'm, what I'm talking about. I think a majority of this budget went to putting it out in three D. So let's talk about its gross takings okay on a budget of 2.3 million now remembering number two took just under 22 million i'm gonna jump up i'm gonna say that people like 3d enough to rake in 30 mil it took more than that it took more oh more than part one it took just more than part one it took 36 million six hundred ninety thousand dollars so people really like that 3d gimmick People like 3D or they like hockey masks, one of the two. So we have these opening titles, these beautiful opening titles. We've got Harry Manfredini coming in with more of a more of a lively opening theme. I think this is what makes me smile more than the actual titles. It's like, whoa, this is a tonal shift. It was, definitely. I really enjoyed it. 
as always, the music in these films is excellent. It's really one of the standout pieces for the franchise. I'm glad you actually liked that from this film, considering that you didn't like much from it. So, so no, there, wasn't, there wasn't much. Good to know that there's something redeeming in there. This film's all over the place in terms of plots and what goes on. So I'm just looking at my notes to remind myself what actually happens. <laughs> um, Do you need help? I definitely need help. Right. Because... <laughs> If you think back to part two, let's go, let's go like this. You have your six minutes of backstory. We then cut to something unrelated, a pre-character introduction kill sequence. We off people before we get to our main plot. Which in the second film worked beautifully because it was Alice and it kind of linked. We've got Harold, we've got like a store. Yeah. Owner called Harold and his wife. Harold and Edna. Called Edna. Yeah. And... Jason goes and kills them and they have no, they've got no context for the rest of the film. They they have no meaning to anything that's gone before or after. The only, the only thing in that scene that has real impact, apart from setting off the death count, we have uh, a bit of a news report about the previous... That ties it nicely together. Yeah. These characters are learning about the massacre that happened at Pakenak Lodge. They're sort of seeing things, shapes, silhouettes, noises. And, and don't forget the beautiful 3D pole. We get a 3D pole in this shot. <laughs> <laughs> because they have, they, they've got to do it on something. There's barely any relevant 3D in this film. So expect a lot of this. Expect a lot of poles, yo-yos, baseball, baseball bats. bats. Just random crap that they hold in front of the screen. But we've got we've got Harold and Edna. They're knocking about the shop. And I'd argue this sequence would have worked so much better pre-titles. Yeah. If they'd used this instead of this, the six minutes lead up of... Yeah, if they'd used this. And then as soon as Jason has murdered Harold and Edna, boom, go into 3D titles. Yeah. It kind of set up the film nicely instead of wasting our time in this section yeah, and the previous section. I, I kind agree. of felt like it wasted time a lot in this film. Yeah, because if 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 the goal of the intro in this film, if the goal of the recap was to establish that, oh, Jason moved, he's alive, we could have done that so easily. We could have used that sequence to establish, one, Jason's alive, two, he's changing, he's changing outfits because he's covered in blood or whatever, and his, his dungarees and plaid shirt are cut up, so he needs to change clothes. So each of these films is around the, the one hour 30 mark, the 90 minute mark. Yeah. I'm thinking they were six minutes short. Oh, really? <laughs> and so they bunged up <laughs> the last six minutes of the first they, film. They, they wanted to hit feature length, so they were like, yeah. right, we need to fill so, six minutes uh, in the edit. We'll just take six minutes from number two, and then our excuses. It's just catching people up. Jason noms on some rabbits. He um he offs Edna and Harold. Harold gets a nice cleaver to the chest. He does. And and we get a bit of running blood, which is um I mean, it's nice in the film. It's not nice in general. But like it was it was an ooh moment. It's yeah, like oh, I, I, oh nice. <laughs> I, the the um special there's more special effects in this film as well than the last two. Even though they've been good in the past two films, but they've obviously some of the budget has gone to these special effects as well, in terms of fake heads. Yeah. And things like that. Because there's quite a few fake heads used. But we get these guys off. Get out the way, Edna and Harold. Let's get to our main characters. Cut to 3D baseball bat that we didn't get to experience. Even if we did get to experience it, I don't think I would have been that entertained. Honestly, I'm going to track down a 3D ver a, an old blue and red 3D version of this film and some old glasses, and I'm going to rewatch it. 
I have a, a Blu-ray version that was remastered from the original camera negative. Problem is, the 3D is, is rendered in such a way that it will work on a 3D TV, of which I do not have. And I'm not sure there, that many people still have. A th I think we've, we've discussed this before. I don't think 3D TVs are in vogue anymore. I don't think they're a thing. I don't, they should have never been a thing. Yeah. I mean, who was going to sit there in their living rooms and watch with wear glasses and watch 3D TV. No TV company was going to produce 3D TV programs. No. It was the worst gimmick to happen to TV for a while. So from Baseball Bat to our main characters, or at least a handful of them that we see. They spawn like rabbits, these characters. They do. Uh, they, they all pile out like a clown car. We get introduced to our lead, Chris, Chris Higgins. The only thing they do well in this film, I could tell she was the lead from this moment. <laughs> from the get-go. I knew it. Yeah, we have our prologue and we have our introduction and we cut to who is going to be our main character through this film rather than a bunch of other character introductions that don't come up until later. We got Chris, we've got Debbie. Who is pregnant, but this never comes up ever again. It's mentioned in... No, I, I think there may be one other mention in the house, but I might be wrong. But yeah, Debbie is pregnant which I, I don't know if they just introduced that element for shock value for when she gets brutally murdered. Possibly because she spends a lot of time in a bikini and yeah. doesn't look pregnant. She, she does not look pregnant So she's at very all. early on. She's early doors. <laughs> she's not showing any signs whatsoever. Debbie, Andy, they're a couple. Shelly, who is looking to be in a couple, is also introduced. Shelly is our... A joker of the pack. The, the joker, <laughs> the actor... The one we all want to hate. He's a bit of a dweeb. He's very much the Ted of this film. <sighs> he is the Ted of this film. And he gets his retribution, luckily, in this one. Luckily. Rather than Ted, who lives on to this day. I mean, it's like they're using all the same character tropes from the first two films. But they get they get a bit deeper into them with this film. We get introduced to Chuck and Chili, the two stoners. They appeared out of nowhere and they look like someone's cool mum and dad. Chuck especially is just like if, if someone said, oh, draw what a hippie looks like. And, and this is what they manifested. And he speaks exactly that voice in your head when you think, oh, what does a hippie sound like? The elongated, the, the man, all of that is there. Let's just skip just slightly back before they appear. They've just rocked up to Vera's house, who they are picking up, who's a mutual friend of Debbie, Andy. And Chris... Yeah, Shelley hasn't met Vera, I don't think. It's a blind date for Shelley and Vera. They're meant to kind of pair up. And it gets very awkward at the front door because Shelley's being an asshole, as Andy describes him, which yeah. I'd quite agree with. And luckily, they look back to the van and it's smoking. <gasps> oh, it's on fire. Ha ha ha. We get back to the van and find it is Chuck and Chili. Well, that's our main cast for now. They drive off. We get a bit of a, a callback to the introduction of the film where they drive past the uh, the shop where um, Harold and Edna got offed earlier on. That's a bit nice bit of foreshadowing. I think it, it was a nice callback as well, the linking. It made having that section kind of worthwhile. Yeah, it had to come up really because otherwise it would just serve to 
show an origin for Jason's costume change. But on the on the way to when just before they get to the, the shop, they are getting there's a really long kind of sequence, a slightly too long, where there's police awkward. cars coming coming behind them, and these police cars are going to the crime scene. But they think they're chasing them because they have drugs. Yes. And so they all start to eat, eat the drugs and <laughs> swallow everything. Which which is a terrible idea because I'm I'm sure you could just smell it on the breath at that point. Definitely. Um, so <laughs> that's not helping anything. Yeah, that's I'm sure it's supposed to be comical, but it does not come off. I think off. it is. I think it's meant to be comical and a bit edgy. Yeah. To go in with the kind of pregnant teen. Oh yeah, good thing. point. Because this is where it's brought up again. So like, because Andy tries to get Debbie to um, eat some whatever, some drugs, and she's like, "No, I'm pregnant." And I think that is the last time it's mentioned. The filmmakers want you to know that when Jason murders this woman, she is currently pregnant. The filmmakers want you to know that. And I was, I was confused in this film all the way through. At this point, I was confused. I had no idea what was going on. I think I was very disappointed through the lack of setup because I'd been treated to it in the second film. But then we get to a nice little bit. I, I thought I quite liked this bit. Oh, not Crazy Ralph. I was disappointed because it should have been Crazy Ralph. I, I feel like this was where the filmmaker went, oh shit, we killed that guy. We, <laughs> exactly. We, we can't have him give God's warning. So we need another crazy old man to, you know, be a prophet of doom. So they kind of had him asleep in the middle of the road. Chrissy was about to run over him. Yes. If no, if no one, I mean, it was a pretty like open and clear path. Like it was like it was not like around a corner. It was kind of on a straight. And this is where her not paying attention to the road comes in. I don't think she should be driving if she couldn't see him. But she breaks suddenly only because everyone else told her to. I th- I think to be fair, I think if. If, if Chris ended up running over Abel here, I believe he's called Abel. He is um, called Abel. Not even crazy Abel, just Abel. He's not around enough to get a cool nickname. Yeah, he's, he's not been rambling. You need to be rambling for at least five years before you can... And you also, and you also need your bike. You, you need a bike. This guy's got naff all... This guy's got a, a bloody eyeball. That's all he's got <laughs> to his name. Not a bloody eyeball, just an eyeball. Yeah. It's it, not an eyeball covered like a in blood. Clean, a clinically clean... It is very clean. Gummy eyeball that he's he's um, waving around in the camera to get that nice 3D effect. We never get an origin for this eyeball, by the way. That's very true, we don't. Does Jason pop anyone's eyeball out? No. Not early. Only afterwards. Ted. Ted, not Ted. Um, What's his name? Rick. Is it Ted? Rick. Rick and Ted, I don't know why I'm getting them mixed up so much. Because they're all so blank. <laughs> yeah, it's just so bland. Yeah, Rick, Jason squeezes Rick's head later and his eyeball pops out. It does pop it. out. So that might be like a bit of foreshadowing. But other than that, Abel's just got an eyeball. You know what I like to do? I like to make connections between all the films, like similar things happening in each film. Yeah, it's like poetry, it rhymes. Yeah. George, George Lucas <laughs> famously said. <laughs> Abel lying across the road yeah. with... All these guys in a vehicle on their way to somewhere, on the way to like a lodge type thing. It's exactly like the second film where there was a log across the road. Yes, that's very true. And in, so it, we're hitting the same beats again. We're hitting the same beats. In this in this film, our log is able. They don't need to drag him off because <laughs> they can just wake him up and move him. I would have loved that. I would have loved that if they got out and they did the same thing. Well, <laughs> let's move it then. And they just like <laughs> grab his legs and grab his arms and pick him up. That would have been hilarious. We get past Abel. He, he, he freaks the guys out by wielding the eyeball, flinging it around, shaking it in the camera. The guys scream and go, oh, let's get away. They run back in the car and arrive at Higgins Haven, the location that we're going to be stuck at for the majority of the film. 
And this is where the rest of the gang meet Rick. Rick. Who's Chris's boyfriend. Chris's but big Rick, I'm going to call him. He's jacked. He's got such big shoulders. He does. Such big shoulders. I'm, I'm jealous of his shoulders. I wish I had shoulders like that. They all meet. We're aware at this point that Rick um, doesn't know any of these people apart from Chris. These are all Chris's friends. He's letting them stay so that... Uh, I don't know why he's letting them stay when it's her place. Yeah, it's it's called Higgins Haven. And it is it is her old home on Crystal Lake. So it is actually in the Higgins family. It's her old home. I think this is we comes back to this later about more into Chris's backstory. And when we kind of see some flashbacks, which I'll talk about when we get there, because I've got problems with those two. Yeah, um, me too. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think if it's the flashback you're talking about, I think we might have the same problem. Yeah, definitely. And then what happens? I know there's a prank that happens, but honestly, because this film is so bland and boring, I've not got any notes between now and when the prank happens. There's, there is not much. They move the bags into the house. There's a fake out scare with Shelly in the van. There's far too many fake out scares in this film. Yeah. And they usually have to do with Shelly. Shelly wonders why people don't like him, man, but he's giving it's them all so the obvious. reasons. It's so obvious. It's not, look, Shelly, if you're listening, it's not because you're large. It's not because you're an actor. It's not because, uh, you, you, you know, you think that you're not good enough, right? It's because you keep doing dumb shit to try and impress people. That, that is just not going to impress people, you know? Everyone hates you as you're being a dick. Yeah, let, let's, let's discount everything until we get to that first fake out prank. I think out of all the characters in this film, Shelley is the person they give the most, um, arguably... Uh, they give Chrissy some as well, but Shelley is the other one that they give the kind of most um, character development to. We get a bit more with him later um, with the bike gang, and we'll get to that. But for now, we get a bit of a scream. The guys rush out to find out what's going on. Chris is like searching the house. We get a bit of an introduction to the Higgins Lodge, which is very nice. I love that set. That set's great. It's very nice. I'd stay there. The get book it on Airbnb. on the second floor with the spiral staircase. It's gorgeous. Oh, it's beautiful. It's gorgeous. Yeah, I'd love to stay there, apart from all the murder. Anyway, Chris is searching the house. She finds Shelly. Oh my God, he's got an axe in the head, right in his afro. And as it turns out, everyone turns up, they automatically think he's actually dead because he's got an axe to the head. And everyone's like, oh, don't touch it. Andy goes down to like go and check on him. And yeah. everyone's like, don't touch him, don't touch him. Andy just tickles him and that's the end of the prank because he can't handle being tickled. This whole scenario really gets to Chris because Chris has a very traumatic past, Okay. So this freaks Chris out. She storms I didn't out. Know she, I, didn't, I didn't know she had a traumatic past. It's never been mentioned. <laughs> That's the thing. They overplay it. I like, I like set up and pay off. But I feel like everything Chris says in this movie is, oh, you know, but I had a traumatic, you know, this traumatic thing happened. And she keeps alluding to it. It's like when, when a person, when a friend wants to tell you something, but they're being coy about it. Like, oh, no, I don't want to tell you. But, oh, you know, it, it was such a big deal. And it's like, get to the point. Yeah, and they won't. It's it's like you've got to ask them. They they lay hints, and then you've got to oh, just tell me what happened here. They make you and do the work to get to the point. Um, I'm not saying Chris is an attention seeker, but it definitely comes across that way. <laughs> <laughs> she storms off. Um, Debbie catches up with her. They have a bit of a natter, and all the while, Shelley and Vera, our odd couple, have uh, driven off. They've driven off to uh, yeah, the store. Vera's borrowing um, Rick's car. 
Rick's car. I was going to call him Ted, and then I was like, no, it's not Ted. It begins with an R, so I was going to call him Ralph. We're going to leave this like, no, in. That's... We're going to leave this in. This is just evidence that the characters are quite forgettable in this movie. And I was like, no, it's not Ralph, because Crazy Ralph's dead. So it's Rick. It just... it. Uh, it went again. Yeah. It goes out of my head so quickly. It's yeah. Rick. They borrow Big Rick's car, which is a very nice and yellow Volkswagen uh, bug, like a bumblebee, like an original beetle. bumblebee. Yeah. It's a beetle. It's referred, look, in, in the car world, Chris, which I'm not a part of, uh, I know for a fact it's referred to as a bug because I've seen Transformers, okay? <laughs> Shia, Shia LaBeouf and Bernie Mac refer to it as a bug, I believe, at one point. Um, I think... <laughs> You'll find it's the Volkswagen Beetle. The Volkswagen, officially, the Vol- officially, the, yes. officially, the Volkswagen Type One. Yeah. In German, it's called the Käfer, meaning Beetle. Ah. In parts of the English-speaking world, the Bug is known by other nicknames. Yeah. So it's known as the Bug as a nickname, but officially, it's called the Beetle. Volkswagen as well. It's like Vox is people, kind of. You know, you get the Latin Vox, and Wagen is is just like is does it literally mean like wagon? Wagon. So the people's I mean, car, the people's wagon. Something oh, like yeah, that. I mean, that would make sense because it's um, Volkswagen's a. I could be wrong here. I'm I know. Just, I know a couple of German-speaking people. I should probably just ask them. Um, no, you're so right. The people's car. We. <laughs> yeah, because I, um, I knew. I knew Vox was people because you know in Latin Vox V O X um, like Vox Populi. The Volkswagen Beetle was a brainchild of Ferdinand Porsche and Adolf Hitler. It was not. I shit you not. It was not. It's the I- the idea of the people's car um, is much older than Nazism, though. Oh my and it's god! Existed since the mass production of cars, but it's a Nazi car. I had no. <laughs> um, you heard it here today, folks. I mean, I could be wrong. But I I think it's a Nazi company originally. Um, but they no, did Volkswagen did make um cars and vehicles for the Nazis. I would not be surprised. Hugo Boss made the uh, uniforms, right? Is it Hugo Boss? Yeah, he did. Hugo Boss. Anyway, that's enough about Nazis. A little little history <laughs> lesson for everyone. <laughs> a nice little um a nice little tangent about um German engineering and Nazism. And then they drive off to the store. Yes. When something absolutely crazy happens. Yeah, they get held up by a gang of three what appears to be a biker gang that only consists of three members and they are not introduced i only know their names because i'm staring at their names right now yeah they they, they do see the names in the film i remember fox fox is quite iconic i think with the friday franchise um the other guy's names the, i always is forget he the guy that's right behind you no this is ali so fox oh. is the chick Fox is the oh, girl. Fox is the chick. Okay. Yeah. This, and behind you is Ollie. For those for the for listeners. JPEG Mafia. <laughs> yeah, so the, the, the gang consists of Fox, who's a girl. She's Ali's girlfriend. Ali is uh, who appears to be the ringleader, looks just like JPEG Mafia. And then they've got their other guy. Loco. Loco. Because he's crazy. Um, yeah, I'm assuming that is the reason why. Yeah. But they yeah, they get kind of held up in the middle of this convenience store by these these three bikers when there's other people about so like they kind of steal the wallet um shelly's wallet when they're trying to pay for goods and they kind of get out of it in the convenience store it's all nice but Vera is all wound up so she throws the keys to shelly and say you better drive because i don't think i can in with how angry i am yeah so to get in the car and straight away i knew it was going to happen what does shelly do he sticks the car into reverse and reverses into the motorbikes and it's kind of knocks them over in domino fashion. Meanwhile, JPEG Mafia, Ali, he stood out front. I think he's smoking. I think he's just out 
front. So he witnesses this, gives a great reaction to it, where he, he does a lot with his arms in this film. He pumps his fists a lot. Um, he does. And in retaliation, Ali stands out in the road, defiant, chains around his arms, like Kratos from God of War or something. Car plows towards them, stops, and we get this amazing grin. This amazing grin that I've got behind me right now. Ali punches the windows out, he breaks the windshield, and then, to even the score, Shelly wants to... He's, he's, he's kind of... He's trying to show off to Vera, because he likes Vera. Vera's not reciprocating this, um, so Shelly wants to show off, show that he's not a punk, he's not going to take this. So he he whips round, drives over the, the bikes, drives over the, the, the wheels or something like that, and drives off. Surely, to no possible retaliation from the bikers, they get back to the camp, and Big Rick, I'll, I'll, I'll say Rick, don't worry, I'm going to say Rick just so <laughs> you don't forget Rick's name again. Big Rick, he, he's, all things considered, um, he's quite calm about the car. He... He is, but they don't really apologize. They explain to everyone else what happened because they are there first. Because we've had the beautiful shot of the um, yo-yo in the 3D effect and at this, which went on a far too long. Yeah, um, hey, as a thing, you've paid you've paid for a 3D ticket to see a 3D picture. Okay, I wanted to linger on that yo-yo shot for at least five minutes of runtime. <laughs> if we can spend six minutes catching up with what happened in the film that we just saw, we can spend five minutes on a yo-yo. At this point, because all the gang are like sunbathing outside, even though it doesn't look too sunny. No, it's <laughs> overcast. It's very, <laughs> it's very overcast. Looks a bit chilly. And then they arrive back in this in the broken, smashed window car, and they explain to all of them what happened. Like the bikers already had a bit of a run in. Yeah, at a convenience store, some guys, but they handled it. And then Big Rick had to think. Then I had to think about the name very oh, hard. I almost called him Ted. Big Rick comes out and they kind of like shrug it off with him. Like they don't explain what happened. Like there's some bikers. They just kind of, oh yeah, um, it's not as bad as it looks. It'll it'll buff out or something. You just need a few replacement parts, and that's it. It's not really an apology to him. The the key here is if they apologize, that means they're at fault. They've got something to be sorry about. So maybe they're thinking, right? If we don't apologize, it's not our fault. I expected this behavior from Shelley, but not Vera. Come on, Vera. Honestly, this film is so bland, I can't remember. I know the bikers turn up at camp. There's a couple of red herrings going on whilst they're kind of creeping around. Yeah. There's a good one with Loco, where Debbie decides that she and Andy are going to go go for a little dip in the in, in the murky water. Ah, uh, Yes, it is, this is a good fake out. Yeah, and, um, and we so see some Debbie- feet. On, on the Debbie goes to the van to get towels. Yeah. And we see the feet underneath. We do. The one giveaway that this isn't Jason, that I'd argue, is um, he's cuffed his jeans. I don't think Jason Voorhees, mass murderer, is going to take the time to um, pull his jeans up and, and cuff them. No, I don't think. And the shoes as well. Yeah, he's got these... Uh, the shoes look quite stylish. What were, they, weren't Chelsea, they weren't Chelsea boots, but they were like... Um, they, they, they were skinny boots. Yeah, they were skinny boots and they had a bit of a heel to them. Whereas Jason's boots are more of a workman's boot. They're kind of thick. So we kind of knew it wasn't Jason, unless Jason went through a serious makeover. Which we know we know he's had a makeover, but we don't know how much of a makeover at this point. The bikers did return. They returned very quickly. I was expecting this. I thought that. I was expecting a bit more meandering when I first watched this. I was expecting a bit more, oh, we're just hanging around the camp. Or maybe the filmmakers finally realised that we've had two films of people kind of hanging around. But now they're introducing more characters to this film and it's hard to keep track of everyone. It was hard to keep track of everyone already before these three bikers. Regardless of the bikers being there, um, but their plan is to siphon all the gas from the van, which comes up again later, very, very uh, cleverly. That literally just clicked with me. I was like, I, yeah, oh my God. They, they siphon all the gas from the van. 
Um, this is how much I was paying attention to this film because it was boring me. <laughs> They're going to burn down the barn. That, that's the plan of the guys. So Fox, she's gone off to do a bit of exploring. Uh, she's gone into the barn. She has a little She has a little trip, doesn't she? She has a trip, almost pokes her eye out. I don't know why she trips. I don't know what she trips over. It's not shown. She just trips. No. And I think what would have been nice here if they'd gone for a POV shot as she's falling and going towards the spikes of the fork. Oh, that would have been good. Yeah. yeah. 3D opportunity. Exactly. I missed it. So, so Fox is messing around. She starts swinging on the rope. Locals come to find out what she's doing, why she's messing around. All the while, we've got, uh, you know, we've got Jason skulking around in the background. We don't reveal his face. Um, a classic thing in these films is to never show his face until um, as late as possible. Yeah, when there's 25 minutes left of the film, that's probably when you'll see Jason's face. Boom, face. Um, if you, unless, unless you count flashbacks, again, which we'll get to. Fox disappears somehow, even though she's plainly in the sight of Loco. Loco looks away for one second and she's not on that rope. So he goes to do some investigating of his own, where he finds her pinned against a beam on the top floor of the barn. Yeah, she's pinned with said fork into the wooden beam. And they do, it's, it's quite a nice shot, but it's a weird shot where they kind of just start at the top of her and then they pan all the way down her body yeah. just to so that she's not standing on anything. Yeah. I thought, I think that's what the purpose was. It's just like, oh, look, she. this is serious because she's actually pinned there. There's nothing underneath her. I don't know whether that was like a, a another 3D opportunity for like more with depth. I don't know. But why um, have that when you can have a, a handle sticking out exactly. from a pitchfork? Which, which comes right now when Loho gets stabbed Local by Jason. Loco gets it. He gets pitchforked. Again, this is a big dude. Jason's a big dude and he's he's invisible at this point. No one can see him at the top floor of this barn. I mean, we've talked about him being a bit clumsy. Yeah. So how is he not making noise? Yeah. Can he decide to be stealthy and silent <laughs> when he wants to? I think Jason runs out of stamina towards the end of the film. So, so he just starts um, stumbling about and, and taking more hits. But Loco gets stuck. And then, just like clockwork, Ali comes to investigate as well, if I'm not mistaken. Well, Ali's finished siphoning all the fuel from the van, and he's coming to the barn because that's what they're going to burn down in the plan. And he's he's trying to get the door open. He's like, come on, guys, come on, where are you? And he gets into the barn, and it's all silent. Jason's downstairs. And um, he, uh, he deals with Ali for the time being, which we'll come back to, because, yeah. as we find out, he doesn't fully deal with them somehow. Jason has a real problem with not killing and finishing off some people. Again, he's sloppy. He's sloppy and he doesn't really have a reason to be sloppy because he's got nothing else on. He's not. This is his one I mean, job he's, for he's, the day. <laughs> murdering everyone that's in sight is his job. It's the one thing he's got on, so he, you might as well do it right. I'd argue it's it's the one thing he's good at. Maybe he got distracted when he looked out the window and saw Debbie and Andy returning from the lake, from swimming. That's... That's a possibility. It could be that. See, this this is a problem with this film. It's so... I think there's so much going on, and I've got this written down here. It, this is about halfway into the film now. Yeah, we're about halfway through. There's been no character development. It's kind of pretty much non-existent. Yeah, we've got vague motives um, for everyone. We've got, we've got vague motives, but I think what they've done is they've got so many characters going on. So, like, how many have we got? We've got Shelley, we've got Andy, Debbie, Chris, Big... Big Rick. Rick. I was going to call him Ryan for some reason. Big Ryan. Big Rick. Big Ryan. Chuck. Three bikers. Chuck Chili. Chuck Chili. Ten. That's ten. There might be one more. And they're trying to give them all stories and plot points. 
And I think it just becomes overload for us as an audience. It just becomes overload. So you stop paying attention to some stuff and you're like, what happens next? What happens next? I can't I, remember. I definitely lean more into, I kind of just want to see Jason kill people when I watch this one. In the second one, I'm like, all right, I kind of want to see some of these people live. But in part three, I'm just fully on board for, oh, can, can Jason just kill someone so something can happen? This is where we're having some more fun 3D effects with the juggling. You're right, of course. How could I forget? So we've got a nice top-down shot, <laughs> nice top-down shot of Andy and Shelley juggling, and we can see the uh, they're juggling apples, I believe, and they kind of go up into the air and come towards the camera and go back down and kind of rise and fall of juggling. You've all seen juggling. You know what it looks like. You know like. what juggling looks like. This is this scene's kind of analogous to the arm wrestling in part two yes i agree with you on that one something's happening um, there's a competition we need an excuse to break these characters up one character goes let's have sex and then they break up exactly that is exactly it and that leaves shelly and vera yeah because debbie alone debbie and andy they're upstairs they're upstairs in the, the hammock banging meanwhile vera and shelly are awkwardly hanging out yeah, and he he says he says some very weird things to her now. It gets a bit it gets a bit awkward. He's saying I've gotten to know you over the past day quite well. I'm like you've not gotten to know her quite well. It's been like several hours, um, and you went on one trip to the shops where you, you know, you destroyed some motorbikes. And he kind of wanted to talk. He's like he wanted to be a thing, and he's like he's just trying too hard. He's the classic kind of dweeb. Yeah, they they, they went overboard in in making Shelley super pathetic in this film Vera says she's gonna go outside but we'll talk she's gonna get some air but we'll talk when she gets back I was like she's not coming back which technically she does not come back inside but she stays alive for quite a while after this but here's one bit as she's walking out I don't know if you heard this go on I think Shelley calls her a bitch he does call her a bitch <laughs> I was like what the fuck yeah he turns around and says bitch yeah, why the hell does a he a, do that? Bit of a douche move. Um, yeah, yeah. But he says it like under his breath. She Shelley is um, by today's standards, he's like a nice guy. So he's like, yeah. Oh, I'm just trying to be super nice. And then when he doesn't get what he wants out of it, he's just like, oh, you bitch. <laughs> But at this point, I then started to feel that maybe Shelley was going to be our protagonist in a film that has been spending quite a lot of time with him. It was kind of between Chrissy and Shelley. I wasn't like 100% sure. But then I quickly went away from Shelley back to Chrissy yeah. when we started cutting back into the woods. <gasps> We're back to the woods now. Right, okay. With this is where we wanted to be. With Ra Ryan, Ralph, Ted, Rick. whatever his name is. Big, Big Rick. Rick. Richard. Big Dick. Big Dick Rick. <laughs> Big Dick Rick wearing a beautiful, beautiful blue sweater. Chrissy, she's kind of, she's doing this thing you were talking about earlier, where she's kind of saying, oh, I had all this back, this traumatic thing. We're not even getting into the backstory at this point, because we we come back to this in a couple of scenes time. We come back to her backstory, but they're sitting in the forest, woods, whatever you want to call it. It's in, by, by a nice little stream waterfall area, and she's basically hamming up that she's had a, a troubled past. You you do well to roll your eyes, this Connor. I, you do well I, to roll your eyes. I don't want, again, I don't want to call her an attention seeker. But she's an attention seeker. But, I'll call her an attention but, but, but seeker. Chrissy, I've got no problem. Chrissy is giving off big attention seeker energy in this scene because she's not getting to the point. Um, we get a little bit of a nice relationship stuff with uh, Rick and herself, which is like, okay, these guys have a history. She left. Stuff we've alluded to earlier in the film, but this is more, it's a little bit less vague. But yeah, what we needed in this scene is to just have her do the backstory here 
or cut this yeah, section definitely. out entirely. Yeah. We don't it's need it. It's like exactly. It's like Muppet's Christmas Carol, the song <laughs> um The Love Is Gone. It's just something you can lose from no, the film. Hang on. Tangent. I don't think we can lose anything from a Muppet's Christmas Carol because it's a perfect Have you movie. seen the original cut? What's the difference between the original cut and the theatrical? So so the theatrical cut, there is a song in the middle. So with young in a flashback with young Ebenezer. Yeah. Young Ebenezer kind of delivers this line where he goes, I love you. Bell. And she goes, you did once. And it cuts there in the theatrical version. In the the proper version, the version that Jim Henson wanted, it goes into a song well, where it called The Love Is Gone. I doubt Jim Henson wanted it because he, he was dead at this point. This was um this was his son. His son directed this one. <laughs> right, Chris. He, he, Jim Henson didn't get final cut because he was dead. <laughs> That's why he didn't get his say. It's what he would have wanted. Yeah. It's what he would have wanted. So, but it's what the filmmakers wanted. Okay. And you'll notice at the end of the film with Michael Caine, who should have won an Oscar for this film. Yes. Um, Michael Caine starts singing a song called The Love We Found. Does he not? He does. The love we found. Is this is this like na, a reprise na, na, of, of na, na, the song they cut? Na, 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 na. Yes, it is. Oh my God, so I didn't know that. She, Belle, Belle sings a song called The Love Is Gone because this is where they kind of split up. <gasps> Her and Ebenezer split up at this point. And she, yeah, she sings a song called Love Is Gone. Anyway, tangent aside, point my being, point is... It could, have, it could have been lost and nothing would have been lost. Yeah, it could have, like, from off its Christmas Carol section. Yeah. We're, we're back to the hippies. Is this the hippies at this point? Oh, this is where this is where Chuck goes out for a shit, right? Yeah, it is. So they've been, they've been asleep on the sofa because they've clearly smoked too much weed. The, their whole character, I, I feel sorry for them um, because... Like, we've had stoners in the previous movies. They talk about smoking weed in part two. It's briefly mentioned in part, part one, one with bacon smokes Kevin Bacon. Up. So we've mentioned it, but that wasn't their whole character. And then in this film, Chuck and Chili, they're just stoners. That's their whole thing. They get high. Uh, yeah, so Chuck gets up. He has to go to use the outhouse because this is the type of place it is. There's no indoor toilet. There's only an outhouse. Yeah. And do you know what I noticed go on. about this outhouse? Um, Big moon on it. Yeah. But it's outhouse from Shrek. The, the, the all all outhouses to me have the big moon on. So I don't know if that's just how outhouses look. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. But as, as soon as I saw it, I was like, that's the outhouse from Shrek. Yeah. And I had to go and Google Shrek it did, outhouse. It did, is, and it is. Is Shrek making yeah. reference to Friday the 13th part I, three? I don't know whether all outhouses in so like the south or wherever it is have moons on them. Get in touch. It's an American. Let us know. Do yeah. Do, if you know, do outhouses a, always have moons on? Because in my in pop culture, the door. as far as I'm aware, they always have a, a crescent moon on there. But yeah, it just made me laugh. <laughs> that was Shrek's outhouse. I was like, is this Shrek's house? Yeah, I'd, um, smash. Are mouth, they staying at Shrek's place? Smash mouth playing as, as Chuck approached. <laughs> Um, anyway, um, Chuck, Chuck goes either for a shit or he's, he's treating himself to a sitting down wee um, and smoking some weed as well weed's so good it shakes the outhouse he's like yeah. this is this is some good shit man and then the outhouse that's what shaking. makes me think he's taking a shit yeah because he says it's a good shit he's like this is some good shit oh right he, he wasn't referring to the weed he was, he was, talking, he was I, just having I a think good... it was I think, re- I think it was referring to uh, both he was just having a good too <laughs> oh. Oh, he was taking a number two so big that the outhouse shook. <laughs> yeah, and after that we cut back to Vera, um, sat on a pontoon. Not a pontoon. It's not a pier. It's not a pier. 
It's like a mini pin. Does a pontoon have to be floating on like uh, like a like a buoy, like a buoy? How, like, what's the definition of a pontoon? When I think pontoon, I think it's kind of floating with um. Buoys. I I always think a pontoon is always kind of buoy- yes, buoyancy is required in a pontoon. Okay, maybe it is a so, pier. Maybe it's a small pier. We'll call it a pier. So we'll call it a pier. Vera's chilling. She's dangling. She's dangling on her legs, which is dangerous over some dark water because what happens an arm comes shooting out of the water and starts pulling on a leg straight away i knew what was going on here i wasn't frightened for her she gets released from the hand and some figure comes walking out some masked figure in a hockey mask in a hockey mask dun, dun, dun. i wonder if that's gonna come up again i don't think so it's, ne- it's never coming back yeah a hockey mask figure comes out of the lake how was he breathing by the way he was down there for quite a while i have no idea how he was breathing that's never a tr- he's wearing um, a wetsuit so that's where how did the- he get the wet where did he get the wetsuit from that small makeup box he has <laughs> that contains it's a tardis it's mary poppins briefcase with everything he needs vera kind of goes into kind of a little speech with him mm. about it sort of saying it's not because you're fat it's not it's basically what you said earlier it's not because you're fat it's not because you're an actor it's because you kind of try too hard at this point i feel like there was just so much going on in this film even more the plots are getting really messy like i was saying earlier so like this they're not spending too much time with anyone it kind of ultimately leaves you feeling bored this is my big problem with especially when we've got to this point it's too messy going on now. Yeah, and, and I think part two at the halfway mark kind of really picked up. At this point, there's I, I did a time check. There's 35 minutes left of this film. There's 35 minutes left. Five people have died. We didn't get too much of an impact for each of the deaths. I feel like nothing has happened so far, yeah. pretty much. I, I always measure where I start to enjoy this film from when we first see jason come out step out so uh shelly he's 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 set off because vera turned him down vera's given him a bit of a talking to he thinks someone's hiding out in the barn cut away cut back to the pontoon pier dock and just just walking out just walking out with the spear gun is our very first look at hockey mask jason Voorhees. this is before the, the hockey mask was iconic so we don't get like a shot of him putting the mask on like batman or we don't get a shot of him picking it up off the floor and dusting it off it's it's just he's wearing the mask now because he you know he's dealt with shelly um, and he needed a way to cover his face yeah and, and the hockey mask it, it plays a few roles i think budget wise and in terms of shooting it's a lot easier to put a mask on something rather than to do prosthetics every day. Yes. Two, a lot of the time this franchise likes to build up to the Jason face reveal um, where the mask gets taken off, he removes it himself. So that's always a nice moment. Um, and three, I think is like a more canon explanation. Jason obviously got bullied quite a lot because he was really disfigured when he was a kid. So it's kind of like a hide his shame sort of thing. So those are the three kind of attributes that make the mask as useful as it is in this franchise. But that, that first shot, he's just in wide, lumbering out, shoulders as big as Big Rick's. And I think I'd say bigger, maybe bigger. But I just, yeah, this, this, this whole, <laughs> this whole sequence, I love. I, I want to know what you think about it. I did. I actually really enjoyed the scene. I thought it was actually really well done. Yeah, because Vera thinks it's Shelley, which weirdly at first, oh my god, does Jason have good aim? <laughs> he's got, he's got perfect aim. We have another 3D moment where the spear gun arrow is coming straight towards the camera. I'm sure this would look beautiful in 3D. This is the money shot. I'd say of the 3D it, shots. 
I'd say it was as well. Yeah. They spent a pretty penny on it. He shoots her straight through the eye. He gets her right in the eye, right in her left eye. And, and the, the um, makeup is good enough for like a shot where we, you know, we don't linger quick, on it. A quick shot. It's good for a quick shot. I don't think it It doesn't hold up too well. And he, he goes off to the house, to a little lodge where Andy and Debbie are canoodling in the hammock post-coitus. No harmonica, pre-coitus no this harmonica. time. And then she gets up. So like quite, very similarly to what happens in the first film with Bacon and Marcy. Yeah. Or Bacon and Brenda, which is Marcy, isn't it? Where the girl gets up after sex to go and kind of freshen up, go for a shower kind of thing, which, you know, so it's, again, we're having those kind of similar similar beats to the film. It's very, very horror movie as well. The girl takes a shower vulnerable yeah she's going to take a shower and andy's basically like do you want a beer i'm gonna go grab a beer do you want one she's pregnant so she should not be drinking yeah she is pregnant again which is just a thing can i just say can i just say this fake out shower uh shower death i i don't know if it was dreamt up from the start or if it's just it happens that this sort of meta textual to use a big word element elevates this but for the for the promotional material for this film the main poster for part three is a silhouette similar to part one and two of a knife coming through so we get a silhouette of a person and a, a knife coming through a shower curtain so you get 3d which is the knife coming through oh it's gonna be in 3d but i don't know if that's part of it the audiences would see this poster and then go oh my god it's the shower scene the poster's got someone being stabbed through a shower curtain no. yeah i wouldn't get that at all i just thought um, that, that was clever and i'm wondering if people saw that poster back in the day would they immediately go, oh God, this, you know. I don't know. It's a good point, it's, actually. I think it's, if, if it was conceived for that purpose, I think it's clever. It's very clever if they conceived it for that purpose. But yeah, we, we fake it out anyway. And he's gone back out on walking on his hands. And he's walking down the landing on his hands and we can see someone <sighs> stood sort of like right up against a wall. And this is a brutal but lovely shot. <laughs> yeah. Um, scene. I always cringe up. Yeah, I did too. Because Jason's there waiting for him and basically bisects Andy, who is still handstanding. It's brutal. Uh, this is one of those kills where you don't have to show too much to wince up. He essentially takes a knife directly from the groin, the gooch to be more uh, specific, machete directly down the middle. And again, you just need a few quick cuts to understand what's happened. And every single time I cringe up. I'd say it's kind of one of the most gruesome deaths of the films so far. You know, his guts are hanging out. Debbie's just finishing her shower off. She shouldn't hear him. That's it for that part, really. Yeah. It goes from Gooch split kill to popcorn as like like a tonal shift. Like, um, here's a bit of relief. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh, popcorn. And got, yeah. <laughs> and we've got a lovely, again, another top-down 3D shot where there's popcorn popping directly at the camera. He's like, whoa. And it goes off for quite a while. <laughs> He's like trying to, trying to catch we, it in his we mouth. Keep, we keep going back to the top-down shot as well. It's like, we spent the money on this kind of device that shoots popcorn up, so we might as well... Might as well use you know. it. Exactly. We cut back to Debbie in the hammock. 
and she's picked up a magazine. She has. Nice little Easter egg with this magazine, by the way. I'm not sure what the name of the magazine is, but when we cut to an over-the-shoulder shot, we see a nice little reference to Tom Savini, who did the I special effects work on part one and part four. Uh, a nice little reference to him. It's, it, you know, it's talking about his work. And I don't know how she doesn't know it's blood, because it clearly looks like blood. She's like, what's this? Yeah, she doesn't look up straight away either. If something, if it's water or whatever, if something drips on me from above, I'm looking up before I, Same. Before I talk about Same. it. I'm definitely looking up before I talk about it. And then she looks up and camera goes up and oh my God, that is graphic. Guts. Guts and Andy. He's kind of stuffed into the top of this. Yeah. Room. I don't know if he's in like the rafters or if he's... Yeah, he's in the rafters. Yeah. He's stuck. He's jammed into in the rafters. Yeah. See, so this, this kind of elevates his death scene as well, because we might not see much when it happens, but we see enough here to know that whatever happened then was enough to, you know, gut the man. And then from beneath the hammock. A Friday classic. Friday classic. Do you have one in every film? A through the throat. From, un- kind yeah, of, from underneath. From either top of the bed or underneath the bed. Yeah. It's always someone in a bed. It's always someone that's oh. had sex. Yeah, it is as well. Yeah. This is why you shouldn't have sex in Friday the 13th films. At this point, Chuck is making his way down into the basement and it's a gross basement. It's pretty dingy. It's wet. It's kind of gross. Then Chuck flicks the fuse box and then Jason appears from behind him into some light. Chuck takes a while to turn around. He does. I felt. I think that's purely for the sake of the shot rather than any any logic. Jason hurls him back into the fuse box. <laughs> he gets, yeah. Oh, he holds on to he it. He gets electrocuted. He's holding on to it. It's, it's yeah. his right hand and it's like, let go. And that creates a power surge upstairs with Ch- with Chili, which sets Chili off, especially just after Shelly's been about. Yeah. Or she- Shelly could appear at this point. I don't know. No, I, I, Shelly was already here at this point and this is when she goes to check on him because he's been sat there long yes, enough. Yes, he has been sat there and she, she goes and asks for him for help because something's clearly going going on and this is where she finds out he's dead chili is the worst i'm gonna say yes she is i think it's notorious but this bit where she's like oh my god (laughs) she's running about the house it's so bad i've got it written down it's like the worst acting ever yeah it's she, oh my god oh my god it's, it's not believable at it's, all which is fine if you're a stoner character you know because you're kind of low-key and you kind of you know you don't you're not putting too much effort in because that's kind of antithetical to your character but then when you're supposed to be scared and running for your life she's she's not got the chops she's not there she's not there so chili's running through the house full of bad acting this is kind of intercut with a fire poker going in the fire from jason this is quite a cool death, actually, I think. It's very good death. Uh, it's, it's different for the franchise. It's one of them. Just just a jab. And I can't remember, is this a 3D shot? It should have been. I think the fire poker coming towards the camera, the red fire poker, is a 3D shot. Then it's a side-on shot as it goes through Chile. All the while, Chris has been in the forest. Chris and Big Rick. Yeah, well done. Nice. <laughs> I'm so proud of you. Big Rick. And Chris, they're still in the forest. That scene we mentioned earlier that could have been cut completely. This is the actual meat of, of, of that scene. This is the, the entire reason that scene's in there. We finally get it. We finally get... Chris giving her backstory. Why she didn't want to come back to Higgins Haven. Why she didn't want to return. Because something happened to her. Something happened she to her. She ran away. In a 50% opacity flashback. <laughs> Something two years ago, I believe it was, if if I, my memory serves me correctly. Right, let's explain the scene and then 
we'll go into because I think we might have similar thoughts here. So what happened? Uh, Chris has decided she's going to reveal to Big Rick the, the traumatizing experience. And as it turns out, she's only got herself to blame for it. She has only got herself to blame. In, in an altercation with her parents back in the day, Chris ran away to try and make them feel bad. But she bumped into one Jason Voorhees. Not only did she bump into Jason Voorhees, she bumped into Jason Voorhees as he appears in this movie. He's got no hair. He's not wearing a bag on his head. He's not dungareed. He's wearing the exact same outfit that he's wearing in this movie. Which is very odd because this altercation was meant to have taken place two years ago. Yes. And Friday the 13th Part 3, 3D, A New Dimension of Terror, is a direct follow-on from the second film. Here's what I don't understand. So so before I get onto this, the gist of it is, yeah, she had an altercation with Jason in the past. She managed to escape. But from a filmmaking point of view, we have seen that they've still got the costume from part two. They've still got the dungarees because we see him earlier. We see him earlier wearing it before he changes clothes. Why didn't they just film this scene with Jason as Baghead? Unless when they remembered to put the scene in that they no longer had the costume for part two Jason. So they said, oh God. It's a possibility. Yeah. Oh God, we've lost the props. Uh, We've got a different makeup team. We can't recreate part two Jason. Screw it. The audience isn't going to care. So we've got different issues with this scene. So I want to know what yours is. Um, Because I didn't notice that he was, you know bald and all that yeah. purely because I was too, I could not concentrate on this scene properly <laughs> because it's 50% opacity yeah. so like with her talking to Big Rick about it we can see the, the flashback going on and present time going on all at the same time so it's time, laid on top of laid each over other, each other. Um, we, we're saying 50% opacity because we're editors but essentially they've got one they've got the layer of the flashback happening on top of the layer of Chris speaking so you're seeing both visuals at the same time. Which was making me feel nauseous because the flashback was all over the place and moving. Yeah, it's a dynamic and scene. As At this point, I was like, I'm glad I'm not watching this in 3D because I'd have probably thrown Your up. Your eyes are crossing. That's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> that was, it, my eyes were crossing anyway, this scene. So I could not focus on Jason and what was going on there because I was about to throw up. But yeah, either way, Jason attacked our, our hero, Chris, two years prior just because she happened to be in the woods at the time. And, you know, Jason's got to kill. He's got a need to kill. And, and, and Rick takes this uh, all relatively well. Yeah. He, he doesn't have too much of a reaction to it. He's just kind of like, no, oh, well, that was over. Kind of, yeah. You know, that, let's, let's walk back. Let's walk back in the woods. I know, I know a shortcut. <laughs> yeah. They've walked through the woods and they, they're back at the house. Everyone's dead. It's, it's literally a mess. They found it in kind of just crazy mess. Mm. So Rick's kind of it's like, I'm going to go outside, just check what's going on, see if I can find anyone, um, see what's going on. Yeah. And then Jason grabs him. We get that cool two shot where it's um, Chris is like looking out from the porch, like, where are you? And meanwhile, around the corner. Yeah. And he's got his head in like a, a vice like grip. This is where so like the, the crazy strength, the, the freak strength comes <laughs> it's in. This is um, the signature Voorhees freak strength. <laughs> it runs in the family. <laughs> And yeah, he just crushes Rick's head. Yeah, pops his eye out. This is where Abel get, gets his eyes from. Um, but it's it's a decent, you know, it, it's kind of goofy looking now. You can tell it's like a paper mache head. It doesn't look too great, but they cut away from it quick enough again that you don't think about it too much, which is probably the right decision. Definitely. And then at this point, I was kind of missing Paul and Ginny, like the, the competence yeah. From Paul and Ginny. Yeah. I was definitely kind of missing that in this. Paul um, Paul and Ginny. Paul's got more of a presence than Rick does. Despite Rick being a, you know, he's a big man. 
he doesn't have that authoritative presence that Paul brought. And yeah. Chris doesn't have the charisma that Ginny had, nor the the skills. The skills. The, the skills, the um the intelligence. She's the only thing she's got going for it is she's had to run away from Jason before. And that's that that's yeah. the one thing she's got going for is right, I've had to run away from this bloke once. I might be able to do it again. And, yeah. And they have a kind of a pretty cool fight going through the the house. Chris and Jason. Chris hides upstairs, she hides in um like a closet. Uh, Jason awkwardly breaks through the lock to um to get to her. Yeah, she kind of she she can hold her own pretty well. Yeah, she so she finds a knife in this closet, stabs Jason's hand as he he's reaching through uh, the closet to try and grab her, and, and she comes at him swiping. She she comes at him swiping at him and stabs him in the knee after already stabbing him in the hand. Like Jason takes a beating in this one, not quite a Pamela beating. Like he gets stabbed more, but he does throw the knife back at her um, to try and get his own back. And this is of course the knife that was buried in the back of Debbie's neck. <laughs> We should probably mention yes. that she had to oh, God, she yeah. had to pry it from the back of her dead friend's neck. It's pretty gruesome. One thing I'll say about this whole sequence, in defense of this film, is I, I might enjoy part two's final chase a bit more. However, the blow by blow in this film is a lot more dynamic. Ginny gets like she she kicks Jason in the nuts um and she pushes him over, she pushes him down a hill, but Chris she gets a knife to the knee. She stabs him in the hand. You know, there's a, there's a bit more of a, um, a push and pull rather than just a push. There is. It's, it's better choreographed. Yeah. I, I'd agree with you that it does. This is what this film does actually do quite well through all my hating on it. It does have sort of like a very nice choreographed sort of like chase sequence and this push and pull. And we end up in the, the barn after a little bit of a, a, a push and pull. A little bit of a tussle. She, she tries to reverse it. It doesn't quite work out. So she bails, runs back to the barn, locks it up as best she can with a stick, even though, as we see with Jason, the, 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 there's an actual... It's not going to work. The actual barrier is there. She's just used the stick and she hides. She's hiding out. She's she's trying the hideout method. Jason's getting a little fed up. He's he's throwing things around like a toddler. He's not happy about this. Well, as um, Ginny did refer to him in the yes, frightened child, child in a man's he's body, a frightened child. Oh, we get. A, I love the upstairs scene. I love what happens here. This is great stuff because in in they have a bit of a, a fight when uh, Jason finds out she's up there and uh, she manages to KO him with a shovel knocks him out cold and hangs the man she, she she's like right noose puts a noose around his neck we, we did establish this um this uh, rope and pulley system earlier with like a hay bale scene with Rick and and with Fox she was swinging on it too and at this point I was like has she killed Jason yeah like it, it, and then, it, it's very convincing, con, con, it considering is. it's it's such an old movie. It looks like it he, he falls down and like the impact. Yeah, it's like it's almost like it feels like it break, breaks his neck. And then with me knowing there's more films to come, <laughs> I was like, <laughs> this can't be it. So this can't be it. Or this was my other theory. He is dead, but the mask kind of thing becomes like Tim Allen in the Santa Claus and she puts it on and becomes Jason. <laughs> oh, <right. laughs> yeah, it's like um if you kill Jason you become Jason. Yeah, so Tim Allen kills Santa the Claus. Jason Claus. And he has so he has to be so he has to become Santa Claus. Yeah, the Jason Claus. That's a thing, isn't it? I wish it was. <laughs> 
I'm I'm going to start a horror franchise where that's a, that becomes a thing. There's got to be something similar, right? Where it's it's just passed on. There must from be person to person. If you if you know if there's a f- thing similar in the horror franchise, let, let us know. I suppose Scream has different killers every time, but that's that's kind of different. Anyway, we we, anyway. we get a brilliant shot where Chris decides it's safe. She opens the door and Jason, he, he appears to be stood at first, but we still see the rope around his neck. But it's, it's great. It's a shot. Doors open. You just see him there kind of hanging. You're like, right, are we safe? Are we hell? Because as we see, Jason has somehow managed to survive being hung. So he, this is as he's regaining consciousness now. He removes his mask in order so he can get free from the noose because it's caught <gasps> yes. on the noose. And he does a bit of a sneer, which is like, oh, yeah. is he, you know, does he recognize her? And he's like trying to show that it's still him. She recognizes him. Yeah. She goes, oh, it's you, which provides the, the only payoff for the fact that she's had an encounter with Jason in this entire film is, is just so that she can go, oh, it's you. That, that's about it. And before the end of this film, someone makes a reappearance. Not everyone's dead. Ali, <laughs> JPEG Mafia, is not dead. And he, he doesn't appear to have sustained much of an injury at all. No, he looks pretty well, He, he to looks be fine. Um, after, after taking a beating. Shelley, he had his throat slit and managed to slink away which is one thing. But JPEG Mafia doesn't appear to have any visible injury. He's not got a scratch. He's not got a scratch on him. And he, he's, he kind of pops up out of one of the um, stables. And he's like, I'm back, baby. Starts to tussle with Jason. And Jason just goes and cuts his arm off. Just cuts his arm off and then beats him to death. With, just yeah. properly bonks him on the head. And I think this is Jason's problem. When he starts getting beaten, he gets fixated on the beating. And that's his weakness because he gets fixated on beating someone. And that leaves him vulnerable to other attack. Because this is what happened in part two with Paul and Ginny. Because he was beating Paul and it left him vulnerable to Ginny getting in with the machete. Yeah, and, and this is where... Chris sees her opportunity and takes up an axe and brings it down right on poor Jason's head. This, to anyone that knows Friday the 13th, is the origin for perhaps one of the most, if not the most consistent point of continuity in the entire franchise, is the dent that is made in Jason's mask in this scene from the axe carries on into every subsequent movie like the mask might look different it might something the chevrons might be a different color it might be discolored but that dent is always there after this axe blow and this is where it happens big old bonk to the head that's good to know yeah thanks for that little bit and considering the amount of filmmakers the filmmakers hands that this franchise passes through the fact that that's the one point that remained consistent is quite amazing, actually. And this is the point where she takes the mask off him and she becomes Jason. In an alternate movie, maybe. <laughs> in an alternate movie universe. <laughs> no, in reality, she walks over to the beach. It's the, sim- it's, it's the canoe, you know, I was exactly Did you, what did you, you know that this was going to happen? It. Did you have an idea? No, but, well, yes. Okay, as soon as we got to the beach... And she kind of knelt down by the canoe. And I saw, well, it was when she was walking to the canoe, I knew what was going to happen for the rest of the You're film. like, hang on, water, I was like, hang canoe. On, I've seen this before. <laughs> I've seen this before. And it's literally, it's, it's a direct callback, essentially. She floats out, falls, falls asleep um, in the middle of a, a lake and wakes up to, um, I think is a very effective kind of scare, if it turned out to be real, where Jason's kind of, he's up, and his, his eyes seem yeah. really lively, 
Um, he's yeah, like, yeah, yeah, I'm going to fucking get you. I, I love this and whole bit with Jason because he just... I, I think so, like, yeah, the bursting out the door and it comes off its hinges and everything. I think it's a really good scene. As soon as she was in the canoe, I remember you saying in the first film, sort of like you notice <laughs> it kind of empty screen space waiting for something to happen. Yeah. And so I was watching for that throughout this whole, entire canoe scene. And I was like, I know someone's about to jump out the water. I know someone's about to jump out. Someone does jump out the water. Yeah, it's, it's our blue sweated <laughs> darling. Pamela Voorhees, um, her head. I don't understand. Her head has magically been returned to her shoulders. She's got this. She's wearing the blue sweater. Blue sweater. The blue sweater is in pristine condition. She is not, but the sweater is in pristine condition. She's been to the shops for a new this, one. This whole segment makes no sense in regards to Chris because Chris would have no idea that Pamela Voorhees exists or is a thing. So this doesn't make sense for her to be spooked by um, this apparition. It, it's fan service. It's fan it's service. It's complete fan service. It's a it's a nasty piece of makeup effect work though. She's got like actual yeah. worms dangling from her. It's yeah, it's a really I think it's one of the best pieces of makeup in this Very film. Very grisly. But it's it's obviously a, a direct callback to part one's ending. She wakes up and yeah. um she seems to be having some kind of psychotic break. I wouldn't know why. <laughs> She's not been through, She's too, not much. Been through too much. She's not um re encountered the, the mad, disfigured murderer that she encountered in the woods and that has now killed all of her friends and her boyfriend. <laughs> I don't know what her problem is. Exactly. But then the police chief turns up, takes her away, and says, I'll I'll take care of you. Puts her in the back of the car, which she screams again because there's someone else in the car and he's trying to calm her down. And they drive off, drive past the barn where Jason is still lying. And that's the end of the film. It is. All nicely tied All up. All nicely wrapped up with a bow. Jason is still there. He's still got the axe in his head. I'm surprised there's no police around it. There's no crime scene thing going on. Yeah. around that barn. You're leaving yourself open, really. Considering, I mean, they must have an inkling that this this is the guy that's been doing all of the murders. You know. Yeah, they must do. I mean, there's some murders at a camp counseling centre. Like, yeah, literally, like a couple of days ago. But there he lies. There lies our Jason for now until next time in part four. But that's where we'll leave it. That's that's the main recap of part three. Chris, I want to get your your thoughts. I, I know this one's contentious. You already know my thoughts. I know thoughts. your thoughts, but could you give me like, a, here's my statement on part three before we get to ratings. Okay, so my statement on part three is it was a letdown coming after the second one. They'd put so much work into the second one in terms of character development and they didn't follow through into this third one. They spent too much time on the 3D gimmick, which, as we all know now, is it's never going to work unless they can get it done properly. So they traded gimmicks for actual plot and character development, which I found frustrating, especially after you led me to believe we were in safe hands. <laughs> I was say, it's partly my fault. <laughs> It is partly my yeah. fault. I set expectations too high. Well, you, you did, but I think I, after, even if you hadn't said we were in safe hands after the second one, I'd have expected slightly more or something similar to the second one's kind of in the, the way the story goes. So it's not entirely your fault. They did do some nice things like the choreography of fight scenes. They did really well. That was nicely planned out. Um, special effects were nice. Just they were trying to do too much, too many storylines woven through it so it all got messy and let's not mention the flashback scene which was just nauseous i forgive a lot of this film's faults because we do get the first real look at jason we get him in his his main appearance everything from him walking up with the spear gun onwards i, I really enjoy i think everything up until that point is a huge slog part two does it a lot better 
with that time. All of the characters in this are objectively worse than the part two characters. They are badly written. They're badly performed. There's no one to really latch on to. Our main character isn't even that likable. But I just got to root for Jason, man. And everything he does in this film is really fun to watch. So ratings out of 10, what are you going to give it? So in terms of rating, I'd go with a 5.5 for part two, uh, part three. Because of the three that we've watched so far, it is my least favourite. There is a lot wrong with it. But again, I'm, I'm basing a lot of this on, right, cool, we get Jason doing shit now. So take everything I say with a grain of salt. I think Chris might be a bit more objective here. Yeah, so after watching it, so like I wrote down my thoughts, my star racing I, I, out of 10, my rating out of 10. I do it every time on my initial thoughts. Um, and my initial thought was a four out of 10. But after our discussion, you've actually managed to talk it up slightly. I'm going to give it a five. Okay. I'll give it a five. Yeah, just kind of, it's okay. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely my least favorite, again, out of all the ones we've watched so far. I'm intrigued to what comes next. Ooh. I want to know how far these films can fall. The average rating on IMDb is a 5.7. Interesting. Okay. Um, yeah. I'd still recommend seeing it if you haven't. Again, despite <laughs> how Chris might feel betrayed. No, it has it has some fun parts. It's just if you've got to get through the first act and a if half. If you've seen part two, at least skip the first six minutes. At least skip the first six minutes. Skip to the titles. Skip to the titles. Skip to... Um, if you can see, uh, scroll through, scrub through, and if you can see like a pontoon and a girl sat at the edge of a pontoon, watch from there on and you'll have a blast. <laughs> so when there's about 35 when minutes left it's about 35 film. minutes left of a film. I'll say this about part four, not to get too much into it, but again, not to set you up, but part four... You set me up. You set me up for this part. Part four is like. highly regarded as the best in the franchise. You, you said it was, when it was made, it was meant to be the last one. It is, because it's uh, Friday the 13th, the final chapter. I'm excited. The, the fourth film in a 12-film franchise, <laughs> if you count remake, um, is uh, the final one. Which we do. We do count the final one. Oh, we do count the remake, sorry. Yes. Brill. Well, that was part three. We hope you've enjoyed everything we've talked about with part three today with Friday the 13th part three tagline, a new dimension in horror. I did not feel, I did not feel it was a new dimension <laughs> in horror. Um, but if you've got something, to, if you've watched Friday the 13th part three and you've got something to say, you want to join in our conversation, then you can join us on Twitter and Instagram. So our Instagram handle is bluesweater.redblood. Go over there, find us. Connor, I believe you're going to post some fun clips. Yeah, we'll be putting highlights out on there if you want to catch any sort of best bits and stuff like that. And you can message us on there with, you know, what your thoughts, or you can jump over to Twitter where we are Blue Sweater Pod on Twitter. Tweet us, messages, you know, tell us what you think, tell us what you thought of the film and were we speaking truth or were we just mad rambling? Yeah. Let, let us know what you think of our tangents. <laughs> that's going to be that's going to be most of what we talk about on these. So wherever you're listening to us, be that Anchor.fm, be that Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts from, be sure to give us a like, be sure to give us five stars, let us know what you think, and we shall catch you in part four. See you later. Bye-bye. What is that? I found this today. There were other parts of the body. That's an eyeball! Oh, oh, God. God. Let's go! This. Yes.